This morning, I'd like to preach from the subject, Birthing God's Purpose Together, and we'll look uh, together for scripture in Luke chapter 1, verses 39 through 49. Now, we are technologically savvy for the conference. You can find this on your app, Luke 1, 39 through 49. And because I really am taking seriously that we all do hear and understand differently and have different modalities, you can also direct your attention to the screens. Hear the word of God. In those days, Mary set out and went with haste to a Judean town in the hill country where she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the child leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why has this happened to me, that the mother of my Lord comes to me? For as soon as I heard the sound of your greeting, the child in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what God, what was spoken to her by the Lord. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. Surely from now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And the people of God who heard the word of God said amen. Lord God, we bless you for the power of your living word. And we thank you, Lord God, that it is true yesterday, today, and forevermore. That from generation to generation, you speak truth that sets us free. We bless you, Lord God, for your desire to raise out of us an army for the Lord, a people who are peculiar in a world that wants to define us. We stand out, Lord God, as citizens of another kingdom. We bless you for how you called us yesterday to pledge our allegiance afresh to who you are. Now we pray that you would help us to know that we must now birth our purpose, your purpose in us together. Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. And we declare it so in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. And all God's people said, Amen. 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 Don't get weary on the third day, saints. Don't get weary on the third day. Don't get weary. Amen. Finish strong. Finish strong. Amen. Somebody say, Finish strong. Yes. We didn't start the race just to have a good start to the race. We started the race to finish it. So this is where you wonder if you can do it and you get a second win. Amen? So do what you did on the first day. Give me 100% because God wants our all. And I know we're tired. I am too. But God has a word, and we've got to leave this place differently. In 2010... I was blessed to attend the Lausanne Congress of World Evangelization 
in Cape Town, South Africa. My husband and I went together. We took our children, in fact, in part because we had never been to South Africa. The history of apartheid was extremely important for us to help our children to understand. So as a family, we all went to Cape Town, South Africa. I was blessed to be one of the speakers for this event. And for those of you who have never heard about the Lausanne movement, this was started in 1974 by Billy Graham and other prominent evangelical leaders. And the purpose was to mobilize Christians for world evangelism. So now that we were in Cape Town in 2010, all these years later, 4,000 Christian leaders from 198 countries gathered to address the, the critical issues and concerns that were facing the world and the global church. So you can only imagine how, how much of an honor it was to be in that context, to be with those people, to interact with them, and then to have the privilege to speak to them. On the day that I was given to speak, I started having one of those Mary moments where you could sense God was doing something inside of you and you weren't sure if it was you, if it was God, it, you know, and you, you want to obey God, but you don't want to make a mistake. You, you know, you're in front of people. It's a global context. You want to be culturally sensitive. You follow. There's a lot of tension when you're trying to figure out, should I say it? Should I not? Should I do it? Should I not? And, and so I was going through that type of angst, but it was starting to grow on the inside. My heart was beginning to beat fast. I could sense my own tension and my own nervousness, but I felt like God was giving me a word. And I was scared. And, and, and I didn't want to say anything offensive. Uh, I, I was trying my best to do God's will and to do it in the context that would be appropriate for the place that I was at. I talked to a few people um, they gave me courage, but ultimately on the day that I stood up, I'm not really sure what happened because I was still nervous, my heart was still beating fast, I still at that moment wasn't sure if I was going to say it or not, wasn't sure if it was a word from God or not, but when I put the microphone up to my mouth, I said, it just came straight out, the day of the single superstar is over. <laughs> Lindsay was there. I, did, I didn't know. I was like, I, I just came. And, and, and it was a conviction. And I couldn't hold it. And, and I, I just said it. And, and I didn't know what was going to happen. And to my shock and amazement, people all over the auditorium from all over the world started clapping their hands. I'm telling you, people applauded. And I could not believe it. I could, something resonated throughout that assembly that said that is true because we had come thinking we were looking for the next Billy Graham. We were looking for the next emerging leader who we would see as the evangelical leaders who were coming behind uh, the ones who had established this movement. Who are they? Where are they? And, and, and how can we begin to call them forth? But I began realizing that we're not looking for the next Billy Graham. We're not looking for the next Nelson Mandela. We're not looking for the next M Mother Teresa. We're not looking for a single superstar because the day of the single superstar is over. Here in our text, I feel this thing, saints, so I'm going to preach till I get off this stage. I feel God. <laughs> Hallelujah, Jesus. 
here in our text, Mary has come to the conclusion that she cannot bear the blessing and the burden of being pregnant with the Christ by herself. She understands now that she needs another believer to collaborate with and to connect with. She understands that she can't do this alone. So she went to visit her cousin Elizabeth in the hill country of Judea, so says our text. This is where the next woman who is a leader in our text emerges in our narrative, Elizabeth. Elizabeth is an older woman, very much unlike Mary. Elizabeth is from the hill country of Judea. She is educated and she is the daughter of a priest. We're not talking now a working class person. We're not talking a teenager. We're talking a woman who is well established. We're talking about a person who has come from a priestly family. She's a preacher's kid, uh uh-huh. She's grown up around the things of God. And not only is she a person who has come through a a, a ministerial family with the background and and the language and the knowledge of how to do and be around the things of God. She's married to a priest, Zechariah. Uh-huh. So she is both a person who is the product of a priestly family and she is married to a priest. This is a marriage made in heaven. <laughs> they are older, God-fearing. They're a couple that loves God with all their hearts. They are upright people who are pillars in their community. Oh, Zechariah and Elizabeth are noble, highly respected people. Everybody looks up to both of them. On the surface, they look surface, they look like they've got everything going for them. They are both well educated and they are living well. You see, they are in the hill country of Judea. I told you, let's not read the Bible like it's just a fairy tale. Ah, the hill country of Judea, she is not somewhere where uh, she is, 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 is in low living uh, circumstances. She's in the hill country of Judea. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm not sure. But, but the hill country suggests I hear Beverly Hills. Oh, oh. <laughs> I don't know. I just got an image of the hill country. But she lives in the hill country of Judea. And when she comes to walk through the city, she walks with her head up and her back straight. This is a regal woman. She's stately. She carries herself with distinction and dignity and class. I like Elizabeth. (laughs) But even though people can look like they've got everything going for them, the truth be told, nobody's life is perfect. Everybody has a little drama somewhere. If we could make our lives perfect, like Andy talked about last night, and never have to deal with the vulnerability of real life, we would always stay in the quadrant of authority, but we just can't have it that way. There are things that happen that we have no control over, and such is the case in Elizabeth's life. She cannot bear children. She has prayed and she has begged God to be pregnant, but she is still barren. And and, and so when she walks in the street, Uh, and her head is held high and her back is completely straight and dignity and grace and respect is all over her face. She has to work hard to avoid the stares and the whispers that come from other women. You see, to her face, they probably say things like, Shalom. For us, we say, praise the Lord, God bless you, hey. 
But my guess is that because of the way Israelites thought about the blessings of God, there was probably folks who said, you know, ain't it a shame that Elizabeth can't have children? You know, it's a blessing from the Lord when you have your quiver full. And, and if you don't have children, that really means that God ain't blessing you. Uh-huh. That the blessed ones have these signs to show that they're blessed. Uh-huh. And every uh, uh, culture has their own signs of success. If you get to have this, your support comes in, you have a new car, all those things suggest that you have success. Uh, and their culture, if you had children, that was what suggested that you were successful, that you were blessed by God. I believe that some of those women assume because of their theological framework that Elizabeth was being punished by God. I believe that they assumed that even though she looked like she had it all together, there was some hidden sin somewhere in her life. Ah, there must be something wrong with her because God would have blessed her by now had she really been as devout as she looks like. I wish somebody would help me preach this. So Elizabeth had to learn how to keep her head up. In spite of what the folks around her were saying, she had to learn to walk with dignity on the outside, even though she was crying on the inside. That's why Hannah and others begged God for a child, because they knew that somehow without a child, they had no real significance or worth in society as a woman. They understood that as a woman, they had no real role unless they bore children for their husband. What good were they? This notion of being born a woman was not seen as a positive thing, and that's why people would pray, I thank my God I was not born a slave, a Gentile, or a woman. It wasn't meant to be derogatory. It was supposed to be a real word of praise. Thank God that's not my gender. Because her role is to belong to her family, her father's family, or to her husband's family. And if he gives a bride price, her role now is to give him a lineage. And if you can't do that, then what good are you? And that's why when women would come before God and say, just give me a son, just give me one child, they were doing so because theologically they thought they were cursed and they had no purpose. So my brothers and my sisters, it is against this backdrop that Zechariah goes to work one day in the temple and he has a divine visitation from the angel Gabriel sent from God. The angel Gabriel announces to Zechariah that his prayers and Elizabeth's prayers have indeed been heard from God and that God is about to do a miracle in their lives, that God is going to answer their prayer. They are indeed a blessed couple. They are not cursed. And God is going to do something that turns their shame away from them. God is going to take something that has been a painful part of their lives and God is going to redeem that in a way that they could not have thought 
thought or imagined in their old age he and his wife are going to conceive a child uh-huh a son and they're going to name him John Zechariah can't believe this he just can't wrap his mind around this he has prayed about it but he doesn't expect it who am I talking to ah oh, we have believed God but we're not sure God can do it so we mouth prayers about healing and we mouth prayers about provision and we mouth prayers about God's coming and we mouth prayers about people being saved and coming to the kingdom of God but ultimately we can't believe God would actually do it and so Zechariah can't believe it and he says so he basically says I don't know no I don't I, I don't think he can do it I don't see how God can do it now I don't know if you ever heard this growing up, but I heard it a lot in my church. The power of life and death is in the tongue. And you can speak life or you can speak death. And the angel has to do something with this man who is a priest, uh-huh. So that means you can be around the things of God and still not know how to confess the truth of God. Oh, somehow you can be around the stuff that is scriptural and religious and still not know how to stand on it and confess it. Ah, he said, Zechariah, you do the things of ministry, but you don't understand the faith that it takes to stand on God. You won't keep talking. You can't keep speaking death because God's about to bring life. For the next nine months, you are going to shut your mouth. Uh, somebody ought to shut their mouth. Somebody ought to shut their mouth. Uh, God. So when Zechariah comes out, he can't say a mumbling word. Thanks be to God. <laughs> hallelujah, hallelujah. He can't say a thing. He comes out, he returns home. They put him on a sabbatical. They give him a minute. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> and so he goes home. He is intimate with his wife. And as sure as God spoke it, God does it. Because God is not a man that God should lie, nor the son of man that God should repent. When God says it, God does it. And when God spoke it, God will make it good. Elizabeth is pregnant and stays in seclusion for six months. Because sometimes you just can't be around church folk when God is doing something in your life. Sometimes you got to watch who you around when God is doing something on the inside because they'll talk against it, uh-huh, and they'll ask questions about it, and they'll criticize it, and they'll get in their head and not in their heart, and every now and then you just need to shut down and be alone with God. Amen. So she stays in seclusion for six months, nurturing what God is doing on the inside. And so when Elizabeth receives a visit from Mary, it is a surprise. Mary gets to Elizabeth because I believe she now knows she needs an older believer on her journey of faith. She needs somebody else to corroborate what God is doing in her life. Uh, I believe there comes a time in all of our lives when the blessing and the burden of being pregnant with the promises of God becomes too hard to bear alone. Where do you go when you need to have what God is doing in your life confirmed? How do you get the validation you need that God is indeed working in your life? Luke tells us that Mary went with haste to Elizabeth. When God begins doing something in you beyond what you can ask, think, or imagine, it makes you get in a hurry. 
Amen. When's the last time you've been in a hurry with God? Amen. She got in a hurry because when you can't explain it and when all the prayers that you pray don't give you the answers you need, it makes you get in a hurry. When there's no one around who can help you understand what God is doing in your life, you'll get in a hurry. When you take a risk to take a leap of faith into the complexity, into the confusion, and into the questions, it'll make you get in a hurry. And so Mary got her things and hurried to the hill country of Judea because she knew that Elizabeth would understand. You see, the angel Gabriel had given her a heads up. The angel Gabriel had already told her that God was at work in Elizabeth's life too. So when Mary, an emerging leader, do you see where I'm going with this? She's the younger leader. She's the one that God is calling to do something she's never done before. So she is what I would typify as an emerging leader. So Mary, the emerging leader, gets to Elizabeth's house, who is, I think, a more established leader. Remember, she has been in ministry, comes from a ministerial line. So we have an emerging leader who seeks an established leader. She knocks on her door, and when she does, the established leader, Elizabeth, welcomes her in. Now, that's big. That's more than just, hello, come on in here. That's more than hospitality in a simple form. That's hospitality as God demands. Elizabeth blesses Mary and she validates her. She affirms the gift of God and the work of the Holy Spirit in Mary and she lets her know that she's not crazy. Ah, she says to Mary, come on in here, baby. Come on in here. Yes, come on. I hear you. I feel you. I get you. We don't have to talk about all that you've been going through because I have been through my own go through. So you don't have to tell me the whole backstory. I don't have to hear all the facts. You don't have to explain it all. I understand you and I embrace you. Come on in, Mary. Come on in, Mary. In a loud voice, she prompt, was prompted by the Holy Spirit to start blessing that girl to start telling her, Mary, I know you've been through hell and high water. I know that your husband doesn't believe you. Your family doesn't believe you. I know that you had to press your way, but blessed are you among women. I know you don't feel blessed right now, but blessed are you. And blessed is the fruit of your womb. You're not going through this for nothing. But why has this happened to me? Why am I so blessed? Why do I get the privilege of being the person who gets to welcome and embrace the mother of my Lord? You see, Elizabeth is not jealous of Mary. Elizabeth could have had every reason to be envious of this young girl. She could have, from a human standpoint, lined herself up against Mary and said, I would have been the better candidate for the Christ. Now, if God was looking for somebody to use, I would have been better than her. 
Uh-huh. I'm a more established leader and she just getting started. Uh-huh. She is a teenager and I am an older woman who is well educated and I have resources. Uh-huh. I could have done a better job of being the one who was the who could have trained the Christ. And I, on, on my knee, I could have told him biblical stories that I heard as a child. My husband is a priest and we could have done a better job of nurturing the Christ child, the Messiah. Now I want to ask you, who would you have picked if you were God and trying to decide through whom the Messiah would come? Would you pick a teenage girl who was not married? Would you pick a single unwed mother? No! Tell it. I'm telling you the truth will make you free. We wouldn't have picked somebody from her hood. We wouldn't have picked somebody from her social class. We wouldn't have picked somebody her age. We wouldn't have picked Mary. And if we had to size up Elizabeth with this single teenager, this unwed mother whose story is highly questionable, we would assume that God would have been working in the more likely candidate. But I'm here to tell you that Elizabeth has a completely different perspective. When Mary knocks on that woman's door, she could have said, it should have been me. But that's not what she says. She opens her arms and she more importantly opens her heart. And she welcomes a, a young emerging leader. And she validates her. She affirms her. You see, Elizabeth is the very first person in the gospel story to honor the Lord's call in Mary's life. Elizabeth's words release in Mary a spoken word, a creative song, the Magnificat. There's something on the inside that's working on the outside. And every now and then we need somebody who senses it with us and who calls it forth, who calls forth our song, who calls forth our praise, who helps us to see that this burden is, is not just a burden, but it is indeed a blessing for which we can give God praise. My soul doth magnify the Lord, says Mary. She's freed from any shame. She's freed from any judgment. Ah, she is now able to testify to the glory and to the power of God. Every now and then, a young emerging leader needs to have our heads turned around so that we can have our own walk with God affirmed and we can now stay in for the long haul against the questions and the criticisms and the confusion. When someone blesses us, it helps us stand up straight and believe God again. Ah, this relationship redefines mentoring and underlines the essential compassionate need for community. This intergenerational relationship is established on mutually honoring and blessing terms. So let me say this to you. I'm aware of my time and I want to honor it today. Elizabeth is able to bless Mary because, and not be, and not be jealous or envious because God is already working in her life. 
You see, God has already helped Elizabeth to know that God can do the impossible or what we think to be impossible. Mary is not coming to a woman who doesn't get that God is moving and doing something new. Uh, Elizabeth doesn't have to feel threatened or intimidated about Mary because God is already working in her life. Instead of being jealous, she can bless her because she knows she's already pregnant. Do you know that when you are already having God do something in your life as an established leader, you don't have to be scared of the new leader that's coming up behind you. I, nobody can take your place. Nobody can take out of you what God is doing in you when you already have God in the inside and a calling on the inside and you're pregnant with purpose. Somebody else can be pregnant with purpose and that don't have anything to do with you. That does not disqualify what God is doing in your life. It doesn't limit what God is doing in your life. Elizabeth could open her arms as an established leader to an emerging leader because she was already pregnant. Pregnant. And so I'm here to tell you, you can't go to everybody when you're trying to validate what God is doing in your life. Not everybody's pregnant, amen. Everybody's not able to give you a confirmation that God has conceived in you something new. That's when we've got to seek out Elizabeth's. Older, established leaders who have the gift of God growing on the inside of them too. In order for God to bring forth the new things that are being conceived in us, we need intergenerational collaboration. We need intergenerational collaboration. Our 75-year history, we don't have to feel like we're being displaced. We don't have to feel like we're going to lose our chance. We need to start finding ways to bless other people, Elizabeth, and we have to come alongside those who are coming behind us, and as opposed to being threatened by them, we ought to bless them. Instead of me having the mic, we ought to give somebody else the mic. Somebody else got a preaching gift coming on the inside of them, and if I would give them a chance to preach, they could preach and so we've got to make room for them and bless them and Elizabeth I got a good word for you when you bless a younger leader the Holy Ghost will rise on the inside of you and the baby in your womb will leap and get new life when you bless a younger leader God will bless you hey God hallelujah Jesus Ah, when you validate somebody else's anointing, God will cause your anointing to get reignited. Ah, when you bless the call in somebody else, God will reignite your call. Who needs God to re-energize something on the inside of you? Somebody needs God to give a fresh word, a fresh wind, a fresh anointing, and I dare you to bless somebody else because when you do, you'll get filled with the Holy Ghost anew, and something new will start happening in your ministry. Some new idea, some new dream, some new vision will come when we understand that the day of the single superstar is over and that it is time for us to find ways to collaborate and connect with each other and to bless and validate and confirm with each other so that God can bring a new thing in earth. This new wineskin that I talked about on the first night is a wineskin that includes at least one thing. It includes collaboration. We can no longer go it alone. We can no longer think that our group, whatever that group be, has the whole vision and knowledge of what God is doing. It's some partnership, it's some collaborative engagement and exchange. And when we do it, God blesses it. That's where the anointing of God shows up. So in conclusion, if you're married today, I want to say to you, I sense you, I see you. 
Something is happening new and you have been impregnated with something you can't explain yourself. You sense that you're being called to a new ministry. The spirit of the Lord is hovering over you. You sense God calling you to another level in prayer. A new gift is emerging in your life and you don't get it. I beg you to hurry and go find Elizabeth. Seek that Elizabeth figure out. There is established leaders who have a similar anointing to yours. And if you find them and line yourself around them, they will confirm that you're not nuts. They will confirm that it is God and you didn't make this up. That this is indeed a spiritual thing. It's the Lord's doing, and it's marvelous in our eyes. Or maybe you find yourself like me in the place of Elizabeth, and you're wondering, has your gift been dormant? Are you still relevant? Does God want to see you take a new jump in a new way? Has your dreams become stagnant? Do you need your ministry to be reignited? I beg you to embrace Mary. Find the younger leaders and encourage what the God is doing in their lives. Come alongside them. Don't be scared of them. I wish I had time to tell you about a white man. I tell you his color because it just is relevant to the story. His name is Pastor Ray Bartell. Ray Bartell is a white covenant pastor who used to be the pastor of Interbay Covenant Church in Seattle, Washington. At some point, a young Korean group of folks was looking for a place to have their church. The church was called Quest, and it was led by a dude named Eugene Cho, who is now my senior pastor. There was a youth kind of garage that was not being used, and Eugene and his small band of Korean college students asked if they could use that youth thing. It had junk all in it. They were given permission by Pastor Ray and mostly white covenant church, older folks to use that garage. They turned it into a cafe. And so the church was both a cafe, like a Starbucks or something like that, where you could come and get coffee all week long, and then on Sunday they turned it into church service. It was interesting, weird, new, innovative model. They got criticized a lot for it. Is it a church? Is it a business? Is it a coffee, coffee shop? What is it? How do you have church? How do you have church in a cafe? <laughs> all of that, all of that. Somewhere along the line, this is a true story, Pastor Ray got a sense that they should give their church building to that young Korean group of students and, and, and young adults and merge with them. And Pastor Ray would no longer be the senior pastor, but he would let Eugene Cho be the new pastor and they would become one church. He tried to convince Inner Bay that they shouldn't be scared of this young thing, these, these young people, that maybe instead of being scared of them, they should come alongside them. Instead of being threatened, they should bless them. And he was voted down completely by the board. They was like, you are nuts. Amen. 
and they kept praying. Pastor Ray kept investing, and he went back a year later, and the whole board agreed to give Quest, that whole church. I'm here to tell you that we are over 1,500 people strong. Ray Bartell is a man to be honored. He should be on a wall of fame somewhere because as an older white guy, he said God is doing something new in this generation, and I'm not going to get in the way. I'm not going to be scared of. It. I'm going to bless it. I'm going to come alongside it. And today, Quest Covenant Church is a thriving congregation with old people and young people and people from different races and nationalities proclaiming the kingdom of God because a man like Ray Bartell decided to be an Elizabeth to Mary. Oh, God, I feel like preaching.